It's in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. We are spending some time this fall considering this book, challenging ourselves with this book. And we're going to go to chapter 5 this morning. I'm going to skip the first part of chapter 5 and we're going to come back to it uh, in a later sermon. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 5. And I'm going to read through verse 2 of chapter 6, okay? So this is Ecclesiastes, a strange and difficult book, but a book that is a gift from God to us. So as I read, remember that this is the Word of God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches which were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which with, one, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept His lot and rejoice in His toil. This is the gift of God. For He will not much remember the days of His life because God keeps Him occupied with joy in His heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. One of the things I've wanted to say throughout this series uh, is that the message of Ecclesiastes is difficult, but it is not unique. And I've wanted to show you how it's connected to the rest of the Bible. And so what I want you to do now is actually turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to focus on a story that Jesus tells in Luke 12. And I'll think, I think you'll see how it is connected with the message of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. So Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and read through verse 21. Luke 12, verse 13, this also is the Word of God. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, we need your help as we consider these challenging words. It it is often hard to hear you speak to our money, our possessions, our wealth. And there are things that the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, there are things that Jesus says here in this story that he gives us that disturb us, that challenge us. And so we ask that you would help us to understand. We pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you give us humility. The willingness to be challenged. Would you lead us to repentance, but would you also lead us to forgiveness and to grace and to transformation through Jesus Christ and through the gift of His Holy Spirit. pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that we had some friends in town and they have three young children, and their youngest is named Sam, and uh, he's around a year old. And our youngest is named Sam, and he's around 10 months old, so it's going to be a confusing story, all right? So two Sams, we've got two Sams, and their Sam, while he was at our house, liked to go up to our Sam and take his pacifier and grab it and pull it out of his mouth. And he didn't keep it, he just kind of dropped it on the ground. And I'm convinced that their Sam thought that this was a fun game to play. Our Sam uh, thought it was a violent invasion of his privacy and screamed accordingly. Why? Because we know the word mine before we know how to say it. You know the seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo? Mine, mine, mine. We all have a little bit of seagull in us. The question, what do I own? What's mine? What do I possess? Is a central and shaping question in our lives. And it is a question that comes up again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher wrestles with it. And it is the question that prompts Jesus to tell this story in Luke chapter 12. So verse 13, a man comes to him and he says, Jesus, help me with an inheritance dispute. Tell my brother to give me what's mine. And understand that inheritance for Jewish culture at this time was the fundamental economic reality. That the ways families survived, the central way families survived, is land passing from father to sons. 
And so, of course, the Old Testament had a lot to say about how that process should happen. So this was not an unusual question for this man to ask of a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. Because the rabbi's job was to take the law of the Old Testament and help God's people understand it and apply it, including to situations of inheritance and who gets what when it comes time for an inheritance. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? The man comes and asks, what's mine? And Jesus, he tells a story. And in this story, Jesus, I believe in harmony with the teacher of Ecclesiastes, wants to say something to us about that word, mine. He wants to say something to us about the question of ownership, possession. And he communicates to us, you own nothing so that you can receive everything. You own nothing so that you can receive everything. So first of all, you own nothing. Again, Jesus doesn't respond to this inheritance dispute by addressing legal issues. He addresses heart issues. He talks about covetousness. The desire, the sinful desire to get other people's possessions. And he says, your life is not in the abundance of what you own, of what you possess. And then he expands this teaching and he illustrates this teaching with a story. And it's a story about a man whom God calls a fool. And that is a strong word for God to speak to someone. It's a word of condemnation. And so we need to think about why God calls this man a fool. And the answer to that is in how Jesus tells the story. So verse 16, the narrative opens, a man's land produced plentifully. Okay, we need to do a little grammar, not too complicated, but what's the subject of the verb produced? Not man, but land, right? Now contrast that with verses 17, 18, and 19. Who's the subject of all the verbs in those verses? I. 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 What will I do? I will build. I will tear down. I will relax. And accompanying all of that are all of these possessive pronouns as well. Mine. My. My barns. My crops. My life. You see... This rich man is a fool because he misreads reality. He looks at his plenty and he forgets that he's a farmer. He forgets that he lives life, that he has possessions based on forces, reliant on forces that are out of his control. He puts the seed in the ground, but he doesn't make it grow. But still he says, mine. I will do. That is mine. He misreads reads reality. And because of that, he is a fool. His possessions lie to him about the extent of his power, the extent of his control. And notice how that lie is exposed. Verse 20. It's exposed with death. 
God says to him tonight, your soul is required of you. And what will happen with all these things that you say are yours? They go to someone else, right? See what Jesus is doing here? He reverses the inheritance question. The man comes and asks him, what do I get? And Jesus wants to say, no, 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 no. The real question is, what do you have to give up when you die? And it's everything. And so in reality, you have possessions for a time, but you do not truly own them. You, in reality, own nothing. And isn't that the consistent message of the book of Ecclesiastes? Doesn't the teacher say again and again to us, you can try to grab a hold of life with money, with wealth, with possessions, but reverse the inheritance question, what, what do you possess when you die? What do you take with you? Nothing. And so when you try to grab a hold of life with money and possessions, you end up grabbing smoke. You own nothing. Money is an incredibly talented liar. And one of the lies that money tells us is that we, if we can have just a little bit more, if we can have enough, we can create for us a life of stability and comfort and peace. We can control life with the right amount of money. You know that commercial? It's, it's one of the financial services companies that, with the green line that shows people where to turn and what direction to go. I think it's Fidelity. That's the lie. That with, with enough money, with the right financial decisions, you can lay out a clear and stable path for your life. You can protect yourself from harm. You can give yourself the comfort, the stability, the safety that you want. And it's a lie. It is an illusion that Jesus and the teacher of Ecclesiastes expose with the reality of death. In reality, you own nothing. That's a difficult message to hear. That's a painful exposure. But it is truth leading us to freedom. If you keep reading in Luke, Jesus immediately turns and talks to his disciples about anxiety, about fear in relationship to possessions and money. And think about it. Money promises us freedom. It promises us stability. But what does it give us? Anxiety that we won't have enough, or anxiety's covenant di- cousin discontent that we need just a little bit more. And Jesus wants to free us from that. And He frees us with the truth that in reality, you try to grab life with money and wealth, you'll grab smoke. You own nothing. But that's not the end of his message. That's not all that he says. He says to us, you own nothing so that you may receive everything. So notice when he comes to the end of his lesson here, he comes to this end 
to the end of this story about this rich and foolish man, he says that the problem with covetousness is not just that we are deceived by possessions. It is that we are impoverished by them. He says it is possible to store up treasure for yourself and as a result, not be rich towards God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, think about this story a little bit more. The man, as he views his wealth, and as he looks at his plan for his wealth, he steps back and he says, Oh, now, now I have arrived. It is time for me to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry. If you've been with us in the book of Ecclesiastes, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? A familiar refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes is, Find enjoyment in food, in drink, in work. And in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes that we read, he says, even find enjoyment in possessions and wealth. Eat, drink, and be merry, the teacher says to us. But in Jesus' story, God confronts and condemns the man who says, eat, drink, and be merry. What do we do with that? Is Jesus contradicting Is he confronting, correcting the teacher in Ecclesiastes? Well, there's one really important difference between the fool in Luke and the teacher in Ecclesiastes. You see, the fool in this story that Jesus tells, he says, eat, drink, and be merry, after what? After saying, I, 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 mine, mine, mine. How does the teacher tell us We can enjoy our life as a gift from God. The only way to find enjoyment is to understand that those elements that are good come from Him and the ability to enjoy them come from Him as well. The only way to find joy in the good gifts of our life is to know, to believe, to trust that they are gifts. So understand, the fool starts with ownership. The teacher starts with gratitude. He says you can enjoy these things because they are gifts from God. And I believe Jesus would agree with the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Remember what this story is about. It's about an inheritance, right? And what is an inheritance? It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. It's a gift. And it was not only a social reality for the Jewish people. It was essential to how they understood and related to God. Because God had made a covenant with them. He had created a relationship with them. And in that relationship, He had promised them an inheritance. Land that would produce life for them so that they would live their lives not believing that they owned it, but they would live their lives receiving it in grateful worship directed towards the true giver. 
And just in case you think I'm reading too much into this passage here, look a little later in Luke chapter 12 with me. Look at verse 32. And notice what Jesus, as he continues this teaching, says to his disciples. Luke 12, verse 32. He is taking anxiety, he's taking fear uh, from his disciples, and he says to them in verse 32, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So notice Jesus says, not only does God give us food and drink and work and possessions, but He gives us His kingdom. We belong to Him and we belong to His work of making everything new through Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us a way to look at life not through the lens of ownership, but through the lens of gift. And notice what that produces. To live a life of gratitude through the lens of gift, notice what it produces. Keep reading after verse 32. He says, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, so do what? Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To live a life of gift is to live a life of generosity. It is not only to receive the benefits of Christ's kingdom, but it is then to be those benefits in the lives of other people. So to be rich towards God is to receive His riches and then to be a conduit of those riches. It is, it is to stand before God with open hands, gratefully receiving His gift of grace, and then to stand before each other and the world around us with open hands, generously giving the gift of grace to those around us what it means to be rich towards God. That yes, we own nothing, but in Jesus, we receive everything. I mentioned earlier the movie Finding Nemo. And when my kids first saw that movie, my daughter Georgia, for days after, kept talking about giants. And we couldn't figure out what she was talking about. She, she kept saying, there are giants in that movie. There are giants. And we're like, no, there's fish. There's shark. No giants. And, but she kept insisting that we're gi- there were giants in Finding Nemo. And so we had to watch it again. And we figured out what she was talking about. You know the scene where the divers capture Nemo? That scene is shown from the perspective of the fish. And so the divers are huge. They look like giants. And Georgia had fully entered the perspective of the movie and thought they were giants, not normal human beings. Perspective determines how large something is in our life. And if we view our lives from the perspective of ownership and possession then our needs, our fears, our desires will be giants. But Jesus wants to transform that perspective in us. And He wants to give us the perspective of gift. 
And if we view our lives from the perspective of gift, then what God wants and what others need will be giants for us. So the question becomes not, what's mine? What do I own? The question becomes, what does God want for the gifts that He has given to me? That's not always an easy question to answer. It takes prayer, it takes discernment, it takes digging into Scripture, it takes living in Christian community. But our fundamental approach to our money, to our possessions, to our wealth, must be, what does God want for His gifts? Because I own nothing, how can I receive everything by becoming rich towards Him? By living a life of gratitude that produces generosity to those around me. How do we get that perspective? Well, Jesus tells another inheritance story just a few chapters later in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 15, He tells the story of a son, and it's the younger of two sons, and He comes to His father, and He says, What's mine? I want my part of the inheritance. And the father gives it to him, and the son runs away from home, And he spends his inheritance on self-indulgence. He finds out that he owns nothing. He spends it all. He ends up in poverty in a pigsty. And it says he comes to the end of himself. He realizes he owns nothing. And he goes back home and he throws himself on the mercy of his father. What does his father do? His father doesn't punish him by leaving him in poverty. His father enriches him. It says he puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger and he throws a lavish party to celebrate his homecoming. We will find the perspective of gift when we come to God like that son. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come and realize that we own nothing. But we come to God believing that in Jesus we have been given everything. We are impoverished by our sin, but God enriches us with His grace through Jesus Christ. And as we embrace that by faith, we will learn to live a life where we own nothing, but receive everything. Let's pray.